Ready graphics? Ready theme? The way this writer's room works is, you know, it's very collaborative. Diane's great at, at getting to getting people in there that are not afraid to sort of bring stuff up and share their opinion. So the room sort of brought it up early on and knew that they wanted to tackle it. So I, I would say, like, the world decided the stories for this season of Murphy Brown. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Hi, this is Jesse Mullins. And this is Lauren Milberger. And we're back with our a, a very special type of interview episode. Yes, it's our first interview with the new writers, some of the new writers of Murphy Brown. Revival interview! So we have the new writing duo, I love that we have another partnership, of Gina Ippolito and Skander Halim. And their credits on the show are story editors. Yes. And they also wrote last Thursday's episode, Hashtag Murphy 2. And the episode was directed by Don Scardino, episode 3 of the Murphy Brown Revival. So we're really excited for you to hear this interview. It's great to talk to them, hear what it's like to be new contributors to the writer's room. Uh, we'll talk about that episode as well as uh, those normal things you hear from us, like their origin stories and how they, how they got here. We had a really great time talking to Gina and Skander, and we can't wait to introduce them to you. Yes, I hope you enjoy. Bye. Bye. So will the uh, mystery guest uh, please sign in? Is that a correct <laughs> kind of because there's two of you uh-huh. here? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. I'm Gina Ippolito, and I'm a writer on Murphy Brown. Uh, I'm Skander Halim, and I'm Gina Ippolito's writing partner on Murphy Brown. Ooh. I'm so excited that our first writer interview for the revival is another partner duo. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes, and we've only had one half of each partner, former and uh, current. Oh. Oh, Uh You had Norm. And yeah, Norm, but not, yeah. but not Tom. Oh, and obviously interesting. Tom and Norm are not writing together this time. Yeah. Uh, and we've had Steve, but not Gary. Yep. It'll be like an episode of Lost that like they brought up a lot of things in the first like, interview that made no sense. Like they'll just be like, it's all about the peanuts. And then you're like, I don't know what that means. And then when the other writing partner comes on, they'll connect the thoughts. We'll just edit it all together. Yeah, yeah. We get a lot of inside <laughs> info, yeah, where we're like, I feel like I know Gary better than I do because of what I've heard through the stories. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, Steve <laughs> talked a lot about Gary. He did, Aww, which is lovely. Isn't sweet? Isn't it? Yeah. They love yeah. each other. They, they have a lot of stories. Those, those uh, original writers all have lots of stories. Oh, I bet. <laughs> we yes. have yeah. fewer stories. <laughs> 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 they're very good raconteurs, so yeah. it's uh, very entertaining. Well, let's talk about uh, your stories for a bit, and then we can go Ooh. on to other people's stories. Do you like my segue? Yeah. yeah. Right? Was it good with that? Good. Uh, so uh, we like to talk about what we call your origin story, mm-hmm. you know, where you came from and what brought you into writing and what led you to Murphy Brown. Cool. Uh, well, I grew up in New Jersey and Woo-hoo. then moved to L.A. to do comedy and acting and writing, and I started at UCB. Started taking UCB classes in 2007, improv classes. And then once I went through that program, I started taking sketch writing classes. So that got me into writing comedy. Uh, I started out uh, doing little online things. I wrote for a Hulu show called The Morning After. And then a couple of Break.com and Screen Junkies, nerdy shows, like, uh, you know, about X-Men and anything nerdy. Uh, basically, like the Marvel Universe, Doctor Who, all that stuff. Yes. Uh, and then from there, I got staffed on a couple of Cartoon Network shows. I worked on one episode of the reboot of the Powerpuff Girls. And then I worked on the last season of a show called Regular Show. And then after that, uh, 
I wasn't writing for a little while, but Scanner and I had become best friends because we were put on the same UCB sketch team in 2010. And we were both. UCB be- is Upright Citizens Brigade oh. for people who don't know. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 For the, sorry, sorry <laughs> for my insider lingo. <laughs> uh, Amy and such. Yeah, mm-hmm. University of California, Berkeley. <laughs> it, is, it is not. It is not. <laughs> I wrote an entire sketch about people not knowing what UCB means and assuming really? uh, all other kinds of things. Yeah, oh, that's it, great. To unruly uh, catboy. Yeah, I, so I got to dress up as a, an ugly clown baby yes. for that sketch. <laughs> Uh, full full on clown outfit, diaper, mm-hmm. and uh, clown makeup. I took it really. I took my one walk on role really seriously <laughs> in that show, as you should. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we were both between gigs, and so we said, "Why not try and write something together?" And we wrote five pilot episodes of five web series, and then we blew one of those up into a full half hour pilot. Uh, and then at some point, you know, we said, "Like, well, let's send it out and see if we get hired on any gigs." And our manager sent us out for this Disney show that was looking for a writing team, and we ended up getting it. It was called Bunked, about kids at a summer camp. And we worked on one season of that, and then towards the end of that, uh, our manager submitted us for Murphy Brown, and we thought we had no shot in hell of getting on Murphy Brown because everyone and their mom wants to be on Murphy Brown, and we knew that they were bringing back most of the original writers, and they only had one, maybe two slots available. But we got to meet with Diane English, and we thought, like, that was cool. We won't get that job, but we got to meet Diane English, which is very cool. And she liked our pilot a lot, so life highlight. Uh, and then we were on, we were in our office working on Bunked, and this very, very tall man, who I would later find out was Norm Gunsenhauser, came in <laughs> and just said, Gina, give me a hug. Uh, and I said, okay, strange man, and stood up and hugged him. <laughs> And uh, uh, he said it's gonna I love be that you great. Just hugged him. Yeah, I did. I did. <laughs> which I, I feel like if you if you want to abduct me, I just gave you some insider information. Gina, <laughs> get in the van. Okay. Uh, I'm way too trusting. Well, even when we first skyped with Norm, he gives off this sort of loving uh, hug kind of vibe. Yes. So like yes. you trust him. Yeah, I yeah. See that. I mean. Thank goodness that his powers are for good in that world, because I would go anywhere with Norm. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. He could easily, he could, he could have a basement full of people, and and Absolutely. but he doesn't. He chooses not to. That's that's yeah. good on his part. Yeah, yeah. So he was actually how we found out we got the job because he said it's going to be great working with you. And I said, I'm going to be honest. I don't know who you are or what you're talking about. <laughs> oh wow! And he goes, Oh my God! You haven't been told. And he, he started to panic a little bit because he was like, well, I'm Norm Gunsenhauser. I worked on the original Murphy Brown. And then, of course, it clicked in my brain that, oh, this guy is telling us we got this job. But why is this the way? Like, this can't be real. And he was like, oh, my God. The, Diane sent us an email, but she I, oh. like and because there were legal things that needed to be worked out. But he got so excited because he saw that we were on the Disney lot. He was working on Raven's Home. And oh. he got so excited that he said, oh, my God, they're right on the lot. I'm just going to walk over and say hi. And I said to him, is there any chance you're wrong? And he goes, yes, maybe. Oh, my God. <laughs> so we had no idea. We had yeah, no idea if we got it. 24 hours. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we wow. called our writing manager and said, this weird thing just happened. She said, I have not heard anything. Do not assume you got this. Tell no one. Of course, all of our coworkers were walking by being like, congrats. And we were like, no, we don't know if we have it. Like, please. Wow. So we didn't tell anyone. And then, yeah, almost 24 hours later, our writing manager called and said, I just got the email. You guys got the job. And then we uh, successfully lost our shit, lost our poop. I have a, I have a friend who talks, uh, a fellow actor friend who talks about how we never talk about the upfers. 
Uh huh. Mm-hmm. And now you never talk about what you're up for. Yes. Yeah. Because uh-huh. of that exact feeling exactly. of if somebody's like, "Well, I know you're a finalist." Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, with actors, it's always a conversation about when exactly do you break the good news? Because you know, you could, you know, I hate to say it, but you could go to the table read and uh, it could not work out. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's it's uh-huh. unprecedented. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, and Scanner's much more careful about that stuff than I am. I immediately. Yeah. I still haven't told anyone that I'm writing for Murphy. <laughs> It could all be taken away <laughs> at any moment. Um, but yeah, no, that's a, that's a good summation of our story. But uh, to fill in Yeah, my where own do you start? Um, I'm Canadian. I'm from Ottawa. Um, I went to film school in Montreal. I uh, started my career in Toronto writing kids' TV. Um, I was at a, actually, I was doing a roast at UCB a while ago. I wasn't, I was like one of the roasters and, you know, sometimes the roasters roast each other and someone's roast for me was simply reading my imdb page <laughs> all these uh, very strangely named children shows uh oh, i have the most like weirdly eclectic uh list of credits ever so um i did that for a few years and then uh i had an indie film that caught made in la which prompted a move to la um i wrote some feature assignments for a while um then got back into tv um and then took started taking classes at UCB and that's when you know our stories converge (laughs) so did either of you now this is uh something that we've talked uh, I know Lauren and I have talked about about the the young generation coming into the writer's room Mm -hmm. did either were either of you aware of Murphy Brown when you were younger yeah totally aware didn't watch it but uh Mm -hmm. definitely aware that it was on I vaguely remember the Dan Quayle stuff happening and then beyond that, the sort of pop culture references that that always, you know, either poked fun at it or paid homage to it, like the the Simpsons. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so so was aware of that stuff, but didn't actually watch it. Yeah, Scander. Um, I, I have pretty distinct memories of uh, watching it with my mom and my older sister, particularly the Dan Quayle episode. I was surprised that I'd I'd like uh, you know certain quotes. That you know, when I was rewatching the episodes to prepare for the the job, I'd, it was all kind of came flowing back. So yeah, it was um, a pretty formative show uh, for young Scander. So uh, <laughs> definitely not something that I thought I would end up writing for. Uh, it, you know, yeah, when when I started my career, all this this talk of revivals and reboots was you know didn't really exist at the time. So mm-hmm. you know, I, if if there's a show that I figured I had a chance of writing for that I grew up watching it would be probably the Simpsons or yeah. something like that but no Degrassi, <laughs> Degrassi. <laughs> oh <Yeah>. Degrassi <laughs> absolutely I'm one of the few uh, Canadian writers who never wrote for Degrassi <laughs> so that's interesting yeah. then so so you have yourself who watched it and then Gina you didn't so do you feel yeah. that as a team that that was very helpful that one of you was not as familiar with it as the other one was Interesting. Yeah, I think sometimes, you know, coming into it fresh can be an advantage over someone who maybe has, you know, yeah. some attachment to stuff. So, yeah, I think I never thought about that, but I think that did turn out to be a good a good mix of mm-hmm. perspectives. Mm-hmm. I, I really enjoyed, Gina, you have a quote from Vanity Fair about how you're the youth translator. Oh, God. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I, I am curious about the, the idea of for our, for our established writers with the show, they're coming in and adapting from what they are already familiar writing for into today's world. But did you guys come in with a, a feeling of what you wanted to bring anew? 
We always sort of, we always, when we start a new job, we'll sort of start like a Google Doc that just, and just toss ideas in or thoughts or as we're making our way back and watching things. Uh, or, and this case was, this time was no different. I think like there were a little, there were a few things in the news that I was like, ooh, this would be a good thing to see their take on or this, this and that. So we sort of come in, but you never know how much input from new writers the sort of original crew wants so Mm -hmm. you know we we wrote things down in case anyone said does anyone have any ideas but we were we weren't going in guns guns a blazing and being like do these stories these are the stories we just sort of sat sat back and and listened a little bit as much as a girl from new jersey (laughs) can sit back and listen i tried to listen uh, uh, but yeah, we did go in with a few like little ideas and, oh, this will be good. And then other things that we were like, I'm sure this will come up kind mm-hmm. of thing. Mm-hmm. It's also, you know, it was, Diane's very deliberate about how she assembles a room. Everything you know, has a purpose. And so it was pretty clear to us, you know, that we were the younger writers there and we we're the least experienced and we were probably brought in to bring that perspective. And it has kind of panned out that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something I love, there's sort of a, the bottom half of the quote from Vanity Fair, uh, particularly about Murphy 2, which we'll get to, which is really, really want to talk about that episode, mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. the fact that, the Gina, you said that the subject matter brought up a lot of issues of, well, what is appropriate now, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. not appropriate mm-hmm. 30 years ago. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. do you feel that, is this the, the largest gap of just sort of generational that you've been in a room, and how, how does that work out with you guys? Yeah, this is definitely the the biggest sort of age gap and also like decades covered in that room because Mm -hmm. I think it's like 20s through 70s is like how many Mm -hmm. so that's a lot of a lot of different decades uh age wise but yeah I I think it is it was an interesting conversation because alternatively there are people younger than me that and younger than us uh that sort of like we're we're able we're close enough to it to see how the new wave is is coming up particularly with things like informed consent uh which is mm-hmm. sort of a newer thing you know uh versus so that's sort of like the one end of the i guess you could call it extreme spectrum or whatever uh is is asking permission to do everything versus sort of the older generation of like no you didn't do that we grew up with you know m- m- you know Han Solo grabbing Princess Leia Leia and pushing her against the wall and kissing her until she says yes kind of thing uh, and mm-hmm. even before that, you know, black and white movies where where it was just, you know, you're you're going to grab him and you're going to kiss him in Gone with the Wind, you know, when he, he very clearly is dragging her upstairs. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so we yeah. we it was definitely a long conversation in the room of like, you know, well, what's what? Well, is this really bad? And can you hold someone to the standards today when it wasn't considered bad back then? And blah, 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 blah. So there were a lot of ironing out those types of things and having those sort of tough conversations. And obviously everyone in that room is progressive and, you know, yes. um, leftist yeah. and such. But, you know, it, it can be, um, you know, odd, strange um, when the trends change so fast. Um, I remember mm-hmm. my mom who was like, you know, a feminist, but when I just have this memory of like when Camille Paglia started writing stuff about, you know, how great the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue was and things, my mom was just being completely kind of perplexed by this new wave mm-hmm. um, and and not knowing how to deal with it. And so, you know, and I'm sure, you know, there will be a time when Gina and I, the youngsters will start coming up with things that were like, what? <laughs> uh, so uh, it, it was all sort of like, it was everyone on the same side, but talking about 
um, these mm-hmm. are these various like gradations. Yeah, uh, yeah. What what are the nuances versus mm-hmm. like no one in that room was like, but rape's still okay, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, luckily, thank mm-hmm. thankfully. Yeah, no, that that's not something I think we expected. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I think it's something something that I appreciated, and I know we're we will go more in depth into your episode in a moment, but that stood out to me was the fact that that perspective of well it was a different time and what were we supposed to do then came out of the the women in the episode rather than Mm -hmm. the the accused Mm -hmm. which i thought was an important stance because the confusion was on all sides Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and i it's something that we've talked about a lot in recapping the old episodes for a show that is in many ways still very progressive even in its original form, but also being able to appreciate its progressiveness at the time and still be able to recognize how that is still dated for us now. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And how to, how to appreciate movement while also acknowledging that there's still a path forward. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well put. Thank you. So to quickly just remind (laughs) everybody. So we are talking particularly with the writers of hashtag Murphy two. Which cracks me up that a lot of people like to spell out the hashtag. <laughs> <laughs> Is that all? Have people oh, been no. spelling it out? Yes. Oh, uh, I don't know if certain it. people don't know what to do with it. <laughs> IMDb particularly um, has had it both ways. Oh, love so it. So I'm assuming it's just a hashtag. It is yeah. just a hashtag. That's, ha- that's how it is yeah. on the yeah. script page, on the title page of the script. It's just the hashtag not spelled out. Yeah. But that cracked me up. It, uh, it's not like you would write out exclamation point. <laughs> right? Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know if it's a generational funny. thing or Maybe. people are being just very specific with their grammar. Oh, I don't know, but it was interesting. Yeah. When I Googled. Yeah. I mean, I write out hashtag to be annoying. <laughs> it, it was. It, ma- it also makes it a very long title. Yeah, mm-hmm. yes, yes. So this aired last Thursday, mm-hmm. October 11th, mm-hmm. 2018, 9.30 on CBS. Mm-hmm. And it was your first script for Murphy Brown. Congratulations. Thank, Thank you. you. Mm-hmm. Yes. What a first script. Yeah, no. Considering the subject matter and that you only have 20-odd minutes. 21. 21. Yeah. Oh, it's man. Terrible. It's terrible. We talk about this a lot. I mean, it's just, it, it's sad how short sitcoms are now. In comparison to how what how yeah. long Murphy Brown used that's to be. probably been the single biggest challenge is yeah. yes. short time. Mm-hmm. And not to be all, boo-hoo, we write for TV. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's so hard. But um, that is, it is... Uh, yeah, what can I say? It's hard. It's hard to tell a story uh, with juggling that many characters in, yeah. in, in that short a time. Yeah. Well, I want to give you guys some some props from those of us over here in the pod. And one of the things we love the most about original Murphy Brown was its ability to handle the dramedy and really get you um, within the comedy. Mm-hmm. And I mean, for my part, I can't speak for Lauren, but for my part of the episodes so far in the revival that have aired, this rings the truest to me of that original Murphy Brown dramedy element that packs a really clear punch while I'm still laughing. Mm. Thank you. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. Yeah, I, that is, you I know, agree. Diane very carefully controlling mm-hmm. um, the uh, tone and the mood. Mm-hmm. I remember there, you know, right in the beginning, you know, in reference to the three scenes, Murphy and Avery, um, Murphy and Phyllis, and then finally Murphy and, you know, the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Um, she literally said, "Don't worry about jokes when you do this," mm-hmm. and um, that was really liberating and refreshing uh, for us. And then, you know, some jokes came later, more organically out of out of the situations rather than being shoehorned in. And so, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, to get that kind of confident um, uh, marching orders uh, from someone who clearly knows what they're doing mm-hmm. was uh, mm-hmm. was was really great. Yeah, we always uh, talk about 
is an example of the scene when Murphy tells Jake that she's pregnant. Mm-hmm. There are almost no laughs in that scene, and it's beautiful. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah we, we watched a, a Thanksgiving episode in the room uh, one day where she's she's set up this sort of soup kitchen type mm-hmm. Thanksgiving, and the last scene had almost no laughs in it, which you don't mm-hmm. see in a lot of sitcoms nowadays. A lot mm-hmm. uh, There are several sitcoms which are literally just like a page full of jokes, and they're hilarious, uh, but I you can't. I don't. I don't know how you do that as a writer and uh, like talk about something like the Me Too movement or gun violence or whatever. Whatever have you? I think there needs to sort of be a balance, or maybe I just don't know how to do it. I don't know how to pack those jokes in mm-hmm. one right after the other when it's all you know serious stuff. I think it's a true testament to what the definition of situational comedy is. Mm-hmm. Is you know in that in the scene jumping ahead in the episode to her confrontation scene, mm-hmm. uh, there aren't one-liners packed into that, but the laugh that really stands out to me is when she grabs the gavel, mm-hmm. which is 100% from the audience being invested in the situation and the given circumstances of that scene and that laughter coming out of that rather than a one-liner. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. It's not about a joke, but you are going to laugh because you really are invested in that and it's a situation that is comedic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And right. you think that mm-hmm. she's going to do something because she's Murphy Brown. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. She's yeah. done it before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. But she does something. Yeah, she has. But she does something better. Yeah. yeah. No, it's interesting. We we talked about this, um, um, you know, as great as Seinfeld is and we were both huge fans. I think when it uh, came along with its kind of decree of no no hugging no learning uh in a way it um it, it started this trend of like sincerity is bad in comedy we have to mm-hmm. buy away we have to sh- you know yeah stay away from that so um yeah you, you you have a lot of very kind of meta snarky sarcastic comedies right now many of which i love but um yeah if you if you go back and watch um some of those classic sitcoms from the 80s and 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 you know, I was watching a Golden Girls recently, where Sophia gets a stroke, and it's just it's yeah. so serious and dark. Um, and it's uh, yeah, it's it, it's odd. And I kind of, I kind of really like that we ended up on a show that still, still goes for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's an episode mm-hmm. of Golden Girls where Rose thinks she has AIDS. Oh my god. Yeah, and they talk about rape and mm-hmm. yeah, there's mm-hmm. there's all kinds. Of yeah. Stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. I also sometimes wonder if if sort of the trend of dramedy now that writers that maybe in the past in the 80s might have written for a sitcom like that mm-hmm. are more drawn to writing mm-hmm. a dramedy because they have more time and they can put the drama and the comedy into yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Exactly yeah. true. Um, That's we we actually talked about this before before writing the episode. I had watched this episode of Glow from season 2. Yes. And it and it was great. And, you know, I played the scene for Scander. It's it's a spoiler alert for season two of Glow. Uh, but Alison Brie has this encounter with an executive on the show. Oh, yeah. And she's and the whole thing is played out. And it's and it's very slow. It's played out from the point where she goes to meet him at what she she thinks is going to be a restaurant. And then they tell her like, oh, no, just go to his room. It's fine. And you see the sort of she's such a brilliant actress that you see the change in her face. And it plays out from her being unsettled and the walk over there. And then she sees a friend is also there. So she's relaxed. And then the friend finds an excuse to leave and she's instantly on guard. And it's so many emotions in one scene. And then the following scene when she tells her friend, Betty Gilpin's character, what happened and doesn't get the reaction that she was so desperately hoping for. And I was like, oh, man, this is good because it's there are so many shades of it. And there, you know, Betty Gilpin's character is basically like 
we all had to do this. What makes you so special that you felt like you didn't need to sort of like sleep your sleep with the boss kind of thing. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's so that was one of the things that we looked at to be like, oh, yeah, there are these women have complicated feelings about this, especially in different times. And we scanner even said, you know, they've got to they've got to understand that this isn't we don't have an hour long Netflix show to tell this story. Not a lot of room for a lot of like gradations and subtlety mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, you know and mm-hmm, but but that's mm-hmm. you know i like having limitations yeah in, yeah on writing it makes it yeah more of a challenge so uh, you know the, yeah the, the big challenge for us and one that we were you know excited to tackle was how do we do this in the constraints of mm-hmm. a multi-camera sitcom that's uh, 21 minutes diane likes to call them half hour comedy she, uh-huh. doesn't, she doesn't like the word sitcom <laughs> 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 edit, edit that out uh, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah how, how do you how do you tell something like this in in what is it, is it 21 minutes 21 and 15 minutes seconds? and 15 seconds <laughs> yeah. yes and so you know we did and you put in these uh, little uh, subplots which which are very broad and I, I think you know you probably needed them yeah um mm-hmm. you know uh frank getting the app that buzzes him every uh-huh. time he says something inappropriate oh my God. <laughs> um, miles, miles not know, knowing how to deal with his office crush right so Ugh. yeah these are the things you you kind of have to do mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. was this idea did you pitch it or was it assigned to you it was, was assigned to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way the the way this writers room works is, you know, it's very collaborative. Diane's great at at getting to getting people in there that are not afraid to sort of bring stuff up and share their opinions. So we one day were just talking about, all right, well, what's going on? There's there's you know, press conferences and and how they're always lying. There's this and and of course there's like the Me Too movement. So the room sort of brought it up early on and knew that they wanted to tackle it. It's funny. I would say like the world decided the stories for this season of Murphy Brown. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because, that's true. You know, <laughs> that's true. There were, yes. you know, it's just like there were topics that we knew we had to cover. Mm-hmm. There was, you know, the the press and, um, mm-hmm. you know, the, the kind of lying and the dishonesty of mm-hmm. uh, of that press room, which which we covered. And there's the Me Too movement. And mm-hmm. yeah, there, there was kind of big issues that we knew we had to cover. And, and by the time we had listed them all, we realized that was almost... 13 so yeah yeah there was yeah. like there's a very few, there were very few episodes and one of them we just we just shot actually but there are very few where it was like oh let's do a story about this mm-hmm. um where it's or it's a more kind of um obscure less mm-hmm. less huge topic yeah but, but I, I, yeah. I, I really like that about this season um it, yeah it felt, there's it a felt little... really like oh let's let's do this let's take on yeah giant things and we had no idea obviously when we were writing it which was a while ago that the all the kavanaugh hearing mm. stuff would be happening yeah Right when that happened, and and you know, actually, the day, the the day that the premiere happened was when it when it all sort of came to a head, and so it was sort of it was gratifying because that was such a terrible terrible day watching those hearings, yeah. and and then being like, all right, I gotta go to this premiere gathering mm-hmm. for Murphy Brown, and and of course it was all we were talking about, but then the tweets started rolling in of like, oh God, I needed this reboot of Murphy Brown on this day. And then two episodes later, it was our episode. Once you, once every, once the world realized, Oh, they just confirmed this, uh, sack of crap. Uh, yeah. mm-hmm. sorry if I'm alienating any, any listeners <laughs> right now with my hot political take on attempted rapists. Um, join my party. <laughs> a- alleged attempted rapists. Please don't sue me. Brett Kavanaugh. Uh, uh, but yeah, and then having that happen the same week that this episode came out, it was very, yeah. Well, speaking of that, I don't know if you realize, so the two of us on putting together research mm-hmm. on you guys uh, found your Tumblr. 
Uh-huh. And you have uh-huh. this amazing post mm. uh, about Me Too and uh-huh. about things that you've done. I don't want to say it because I want you to talk about it. Okay. But I don't know if mm-hmm. you realize this, but it was from October 11th, 2017. Because when ah, I was reading I it, not. I thought, oh, she posted this today. Okay. And then I started reading. I was like, oh, wait a second. This doesn't seem like today. And I went back up to the top and noticed it was 2017. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I did I did not know that that was the date of that. Wow. It's very prescient. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And it's particularly mm-hmm. because, I mean, I guess I'll talk about it a little bit. I want you to speak to it uh-huh. of, of how you want to help women in comedy. Mm-hmm. And it mm-hmm. may not help you get a job. Right, but right. It got, I think it may have helped you get a job because <laughs> yeah, uh, but all please. those people were right that said I had some <laughs> ulterior motive for helping women. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but just the idea that you were true to yourself and you were helping your fellow woman. I see. I'm trying not to get. I want you to talk about the post. I don't want to put yeah. words in your mouth. So please, yeah. please talk about your post. Uh, uh, so small amount of background. So I like I said, I started doing UCB in 2007, and then. Um, I was at some point in the comedy community, there was sort of a, a, for lack of a better word, reckoning for a lot of creeps uh, because it's comedy is so uh, male dominated. And until recently it was, I mean, it's still, it still is very male, male dominated, but until recently there were very few women at the theaters, very few women on teams. Uh, and just a lot of, you have a lot of socially awkward people doing comedy who, uh, you know, don't read cues or are just straight up bad people and creeps and get away with it because it's, you know, comedy and there's always alcohol involved in comedy and blah, blah, blah. So a lot of sort of things went unchecked for years. And then a few years ago, women started to say like, hey, this isn't OK. This guy did this and it's not OK. Uh, and some of them were afraid to come forward for various reasons, the same reasons that women are always afraid to come forward. So I sort of offered myself as a service for if anyone wants to say anything, like, I, I can make a post on your behalf. I can go to theaters and, and talk to them about certain guys. I'll even go with you to the police if you want to report it. Uh, or you can just tell me about it, and I'll never tell anyone, and I'll never do anything, but sometimes just talking about it helps. And so I started to have this flood of women who would tell me their stories, and most of the time they would say, I don't want you to tell anyone, but if anyone else does come to you about this particular guy, let me know. So I was able to connect a lot of women who had the same abuser and then realize oh these are serial abusers and things like that so in that process I started getting asked by you know reporters for like opinions on various comedy things I've I've worked at several theaters where you know I worked at one theater where the AD was was let go for these types of accusations and and people would start calling me up and asking me for my opinion so I figured I'll just write a post about it uh, because, you know, a lot of people were like, well, what's happening? Is it going to turn into a witch hunt where, you know, innocent guys get accused? You know, the same the same refrain that we hear all the time. And so I decided to write a post after seeing this, the same pattern happen over and over and over again of guy gets outed. He's accused by anywhere between one and, you know, 60 women. I don't know what Cosby <laughs> is up to now. Uh, and the same sort of pattern happened where when it's one woman, someone will say like, oh, I mean, this is a he said, she said, or, oh, she's crazy or, oh, you know, they were dating and it got bad. So how can we believe her? And then as more women pile on, it gets harder and harder to justify. And then people say, well, not in this case, but maybe in the next case, what if someone falsely Mm -hmm. accuses someone? And it was the same things. And every time 
Uh, not to stereotype, but a lot of the times it is men bringing these things up, these concerns up about what will happen when we go down this slippery slope of not wanting rape, mm-hmm. rapists in our community. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and they always think that they're the first that ask these questions. They're, they always think they're the first that ask, whoa, but here's a mind mind explosion for you. What if a guy is falsely accused? And when in actuality, it's it's it it almost follows a script. Every time this happens, it almost follows a script. So I decided to write this post. I think this is the one that you're talking about. I have a lot of feminist posts on my blog. Uh, but saying like, hey, here's how you can treat women in the Me yeah. Too movement. And here's how yeah. here's like sort of patterns that I've noticed that come out. And if your instinct, if your knee jerk reaction is to say she's a liar or this, like get o- tr- get over that. Uh, and yeah, it was just based on all of my experience working with women and then conversely hearing men come to me and say, I know you're doing this and I know for the most part it's good, but what about this and what about that? And so I was like, well, maybe I can sort of put their put their minds at ease while also saying, hey, if you think you're the first guy that's ever brought this up, you're not. Women have been dealing with this in most cases since we were 12 years old. We can tell the difference between a creep and a guy who's just like awkward with women uh and no one wants Mm -hmm. to out the awkward with women guys (laughs) you know we're not gonna be we're not gonna tell a guy like how dare you ask me out when i'm clearly not interested in you uh uh that one time and then you stopped and never asked me out again because you saw the boundaries that's not what we're interested in so uh uh yeah so i wrote i wrote that blog post and apparently it was a year ago from when my Mm -hmm. uh, our episode aired which is cool I don't know. Did it that did that a, talk about what you yeah, were? Yeah, okay, no. Great. I, you did. You almost. I'm looking at it right now. Oh, yeah, I almost great, pulled out some great. full quotes about it. <laughs> uh, it's pretty awesome. Um, I will. I one of the things I appreciate is at mm-hmm. the very end of your post, you you basically say, "If you've made it this far, my suspicion is you're somebody who already right. didn't do this stuff," um, and that hopefully, if you've eventually, you'll come back and read through this and actually think mm-hmm. about it and do some research. Um, but you have a great quote that I'm going to read back to you. And I apologize if this makes you uncomfortable to hear your own words again. Not at all. <laughs> but you say, I'll end by saying this. Typically, when, where there's smoke, there's fire. Where there's two women, there are almost always more. If you want a bare minimum to take away here, it's that if two women speak out about a guy or had an experience with a guy involving rape, harassment, assault, etc., that should be it for you. You should believe these women. Ideally, you should believe it when it's one woman, but baby steps. Yeah, and I, I I still believe that one year later. Uh, yeah, no, I just think it's mm-hmm. um, I think that it was never more obvious than with the Cosby stuff. And I realize mm-hmm. I'm picking sort of the most extreme version of this, and everyone always says, "Well, we're not talking Cosby here," uh, but I'm going to pick that one because I think it's the easiest to understand. But and even he had defenders. Yeah, yeah. exactly, and end. still yeah. still has defenders. After, oh, yeah. You know, double digits. People mm-hmm. Yeah, still. exactly, exactly. Uh, but originally, you know, there were there were as you know as far back as when it was happening. I think the 70s was like the first example they have of a woman saying like, "Hey, this happened." And it was very quickly shut down. Uh, uh, And then over the years, there were other rumors and they were all quickly shut down and women were sort of seen as these opportunists. And only when it was that, I think it was the New York Times article where they had a picture of each woman and they told their story. And I read through every single one of them, even though they were like after the 10th one, you're like, oh, Jesus Christ, I need to go like take a shower for like a week. Uh, but the, the similarities between it, like, I don't know how anyone could read that and be like, oh, these women who didn't talk to each other have all the, have all these 
almost exact things because these guys have patterns most of the time. It's just like any other crime. If you're a burglar, you, you know, will do it sort of the same way each time and maybe learn and tweak. But this is no different than that. And I think that it was, you know, with the Kavanaugh things, that was sort of people were like, well, let's see. Let's wait and see if there are others. And then there were and they were like, well, let's wait and see if there are others who are more credible in our Mm. mind based on this random idea of credibility. Uh, But I've rarely seen, you know, just one accuser and... And people will say, like, yep, okay, cool. Like, that guy is, that guy is a dirtbag. And it's always more and more start trickling out. And then it sort of gets to the point where people are like, ugh, fine. I will believe them, I guess. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I think, like, I think for, for you know, obviously we should believe every woman. But once there's two, in my opinion, it's like, what, what more do you want here? How many, what's the cutoff? So for me, if you're baby stepping it, once there's two, just sort of. Stop Stop what you're saying about like, oh, but she's probably difficult or probably wants money or probably wants this. Because one woman accusing a guy is, statistically speaking, one woman falsely accusing a man is, is very, very minuscule. Mm-hmm. Two is almost impossible. So mm-hmm. I think something that stood out to me within your episode that I appreciate um, is that idea of even when you say like, I'm going to use Cosby, I mean, we're not, we, and people uh-huh. say, well, it's not a Cosby situation. The idea of, of qualifying mm-hmm. harassment and, mm-hmm. and putting it in rank, um, you know, escalation is a real thing within mm-hmm. criminal acts. Um, things always start uh-huh. small and then escalate. Um, the idea within our culture that, um, well, if it's not full on rape in bunny ears, that it's, uh-huh. it's mm-hmm. debatable. And one of the things I appreciated in your episode is that Murphy's story is not mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a a complete right, rape right. situation. It's still right. just yes. as damaging. Mm-hmm. And I appreciated that it didn't have to go that mm-hmm. far to make the point because I think those qualifications are yeah. not as bad as. Um, I I don't know if you guys know the the controversy surrounding Riot Games uh, right now. Um, it's been ongoing. It's a uh, I have, uh-huh. I have friends who have worked for them and since no longer um, within the the toxic environment of masculine uh-huh, of, uh-huh. of toxic masculinity within a, a predominantly male yeah okay it's company. like it's like gamergate and all that stuff mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. gamergate within the actual mm-hmm. gamer mm-hmm. creation community and one of the things that comes out of that is like well what's wrong if i thought you were hitting mm-hmm. on me right it's not my fault that you sent me these signals and i I greatly appreciated in your script that that specifically yeah, was yeah saying. yeah two things when we were when we were talking about this in the room and and sort of debating about it and how far should the assault have gone should it go farther you know like we had all these discussions mm. and two things that Scanner and I were pretty adamant on from the beginning that we fought for was it should be something that there will be people out there that say oh, that's not that, that's not that bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also something that credibly the accuser could frame in his own mind as, you know, not that bad. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly, exactly. And then the other thing was that the ending, uh, that her ending to this story should not be very satisfying, uh, which is also hard for a sitcom and, and you know, again, sort of a, a testament to Diane's brilliant brilliance that she was fine with this but we we said like we don't want it to be we don't want her to get that apology mm-hmm. we don't want him to show any remorse we there would want be a, a sitcom version where 
oh, she gets his confession on tape and plays it, you know, on yeah. air or something. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. but these things just in real life rarely have mm-hmm. any kind of satisfying resolution. Yeah, um, yeah. And I feel like even if if mm-hmm. if quote unquote justice is gotten, that you know mm-hmm. that the damage is lasting and already done. So yeah, like that, you can't yeah. you kind of really tie a bow on. Something yeah, like this. yeah. And actually, like, one of the more gratifying things about, like, the tweets that we've been getting is a lot of women have been saying, oh, I, I like, I like the fact that this, that it's not, it's not what she wanted. She didn't get it. Like, she went there thinking, I want an apology. I want, I want you to, like, tell me what happened. And, and you know, it's just like almost anything in life, any type of relationship that you have, it's never... You never get the kind of closure that you want, so you ha- have to sort of get it where you can. And that was her taking her award back, which, like Scander said, maybe isn't as satisfying as him saying, like, yes, you weren't sending me any signals, and I totally, like, took advantage of you, and blah, 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 unrealistic, unrealistic. And then she she plays it on air and ruins his career. Uh, and then another another conversation was how can she sort of... What would she do if she saw a young girl working mm. for him? Because she doesn't seem like the type mm-hmm. that would grab her and run out of the house and say, like, get out. Uh, uh, but we s- sort of found this way to have it be clear, like, hey, I'm I'm here if you need someone and you feel like you don't have anyone. You can, like, here, here's my card. And those sort of little things are, are the things that people have been tweeting about the most, which is really gratifying to see. Mm-hmm. I think it, there, was a, there was a point where we felt like it would like Murphy was had was doing this for her own personal closure but but we both felt strongly that the me too movement was about sharing and and helping other people in a similar predicament and mm-hmm. so we we had pitched the idea of Murphy talking about what happened to her on air um Diane didn't quite see that mm-hmm. and in retrospect she's right she's, she's right, always yeah. right <laughs> so uh, we found the compromise of of having this because originally the professor's assistant was supposed to be an older nurse and you know we thought well what if it was a, mm. a younger murphy and that could yeah. sort of um the compromise would be okay we could see her reaching out and helping others through this one mm-hmm. this one instance I, I really liked that aspect of it mm-hmm. because it was mm-hmm. real and i think that that's a way that the audience yeah. particularly the tweets that you've been getting i mean from my perspective at least and I, I don't know if you'll agree with you. I feel like you will, Jesse, but I don't want to speak for you, is that you you connect with Murphy and, mm-hmm. and you see that she's human and you see a bit of yourself in her because that is usually how it plays out. And she had to mm-hmm. she had to take a bit of herself back, which is why I do love about the award. Mm-hmm. But particularly sort of jumping a little bit ahead mm-hmm. is that Murphy being a character that many women looked up to because of uh, her honesty and her take no prisoners, to know because of what society puts on a lot of women, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that even this can happen to her. Yes. I yeah. particularly mm-hmm. love the line in the beginning when she's yes. talking to Avery, when she's, which was very powerful for me, which was, I wasn't always the Murphy Brown that you know. Mm-hmm. Because she pure makes Diane it seem English. like she was. Yes. Oh, sorry, please go ahead. <laughs> oh, I said that was pure Diane English. Yes, she, uh-huh. she wanted mm-hmm. uh, that, that phrase said. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and uh, mm-hmm. no, I totally agree. One of the luxuries we had was we were able to tell the story with this iconic character who had already all this backstory that was done for us. We didn't mm-hmm. have to yeah. you know, create a character from scratch. So um, mm-hmm. I think we we're, were kind of very aware of the responsibility of, of telling that story. And so thankfully we had the character's creator watching over us. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah, I think it was, I think you're right. There's a perception that, oh, this only happens to weak women. And, um, yeah. you know, um, sh- sure, she wasn't the Murphy Brown she is mm-hmm. now, but 
you know, she, I, we also, you know, didn't want to portray 19-year-old Murphy as a wilting flower. She mm-hmm. was, she yeah. was, you know, this happens. You, but women you grow into, people, sorry, humans yeah. grow into their own. Sure. And, mm-hmm. Well, and I, I appreciate that you get, there's a, a small call out to that in, I mean, the metaphor throughout is the idea of things being stolen um, from people, the the metaphor mm-hmm. of the, the actual trophy, and the moment when he tries mm-hmm. to steal her success <clears throat> and saying, you wouldn't have yeah. been here without me. And the I, the way she stands up for her young self and and makes it clear that young Murphy was going to succeed no matter what. Mm-hmm. He right, right. Either. Yeah, there's there's this interesting thing uh, that I hear a lot in in comedy, but it's it's I'm sure it relates to jobs in the STEM fields and anything where there's sort of an imbalance of more more men and more women of when this movement in comedy sort of started to happen of like, hey, you can't, don't treat women this way and blah, 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 blah. There were a lot of men and and women of a certain generation who said, you know, this is how it's always been. And women, these, and the strongest women will succeed despite that. And they sort of learned how to do it. And my, and, and people bring that up a lot and say like, oh, well, can't you not, like, isn't it, you can't be so sensitive. And uh, like over the years, I've sort of honed my response to this because it's another one of those things that I hear a lot. But, uh, you know, my response is there shouldn't only be those that one type of women at the top because there's every type of man at the top. So why should only the women who, you know, for whatever reason, brush it off or laugh along? Why should they be the only ones that get to succeed when you have every single different type of guy there's introverted guys that do comedy there's for lack of better terms you know beta guys and alpha guys and then for a really long time you only had these women who were who could laugh things off and brush things off and didn't have to go home and cry about it but the but now the women who are set these boundaries they should also be allowed to i mean they always should have been allowed to but to me, I had a friend who watched the original Murphy Brown and said, oh, yeah, she she was this character that she was always an inspiration. But I always sort of felt like, all right, if I want to succeed in one of these things, I have to be strong like her. And one of the great things about the original was that they had Corky, who was her opposite, who did it her own way and succeeded. But I, I think it meant a lot to or hopefully it meant a lot to women who grew up seeing Murphy as like, oh, if I can just be strong like this and I will succeed in this thing that I want to also see, oh, other like crap has happened to her. It's not that she just laughed it off and shrugged it off. It did affect her and it it didn't it didn't break her. But you don't have to be like that. Like, that's not like now it's different. And now if that if maybe if 19 year old Murphy was around today, she would have sort of said to that guy, like, no, go screw yourself. And then gone home and cried and told people like this terrible thing happened to me without worrying about it. People seeing her as less strong, if that makes sense. Yes. Oh, yeah. I have a if you read my admission stuff for grad school. Um, almost my entire statement of purpose was about how I'm sick of seeing, you know, 12 plus different types of men Uh and only two Uh types of women and, and strength is, is defined Mm -hmm. in multifaceted ways. And the idea that there is a certain strength to being willing to be the woman who other women come Mm -hmm. to and speaks out for them or being the woman who is willing to show weakness, quote unquote, because sometimes that takes more strength mm-hmm. than just pretending mm-hmm. yeah. you're and fine. And that's something also that we get in this episode that Jesse and I have talked about. That what we love about Murphy is that she 
she's not always strong mm -hmm. and that she is human and it's so much more interesting to see a strong character you know at their most vulnerable and a vulnerable character at their strongest mm -hmm. and that's what makes her complex and interesting yeah mm -hmm. yeah and one of the interesting things about this episode is that there were there were a couple of the original writers in the room who said would this have happened to murphy and would she have let it affect her uh and they said, you know, like, oh, we've we've set her up and she is such like a, a strong character. Would this actually have happened? And that was one of the reasons why Diane included that, you know, line about I'm, I wasn't always the Murphy I am today, because even to these writers in the room who know her, they were thinking, no, this would have never happened to her. She would have punched a guy in the face and, and ruined him. Uh, but that's not, you know, no one sort of starts out at that level. There's no. There's no freshman in college. I mean, maybe na maybe now there are because of the movements, the steps that we've taken. But yeah, it was just interesting how some of the writer some of the writers uh, had a hard time wrapping their mind around this idea of Murphy having had this thing happen to her. They almost felt like personally mm -hmm. affected by the fact that like this woman, this character that they've known, had this thing happen, and and how could she have had this happen to her? It just doesn't seem believable. And then you know all of the the women in the room and some of the other writers were like, but everyone, every woman has had something happen and it doesn't make her any less Murphy. Mm -hmm. So other characters in the episode, I also greatly enjoyed uh, Nick Dodani being excessively woke mm -hmm. <laughs> uh -huh, uh -huh, uh -huh. Uh, was made me so happy. Cause I I'm in a, you know, very uh -huh. liberal conservatory right now with a lot of excessively yeah, yeah. woke <laughs> young people. And it's yeah. it's freaking great. But also it was just like, yeah, I seen that one and that one and that one. Um, but also the way Corky is just kind of casually <laughs> mm -hmm. making her way through the list of things that she's uh -huh. gone through as well. And the the quote to to Miles about like, oh, yeah, I haven't even finished yeah. my 20s yet. Yeah. And those stories were all sort of variations on things that the women in the room had gone through. Yes. <laughs> have yeah, we all had like, the yes. foot fetish guy yeah. i mean i am on a i am on a site my feet are on a site called wiki feet what somehow that a lot of a lot of comedians in la uh have ended up on this site they pulled like a couple pictures from my instagram one of which isn't even me just like <laughs> but like i'm somewhere and i'm like barefoot <laughs> and then it's like rate her feet oh. out of like five stars and at some ah. i be i forget how i became aware of it but i was like oh who is and it's got some it's got some ratings. No idea who rated them. So mm -hmm. this is all to plug my WikiFeet page. Please <laughs> go and upvote my feet. Five stars, my feet. It was really <laughs> hard it. to come up with stories for Corky that were funny. But yeah. also Yeah, that was a, a real challenge. Yeah. Um mm -hmm. at one point we were going over the script and one of the writers uh were trying trying to brainstorm, you know, things that she could say that happened to her that were you know, uh, abuse or assault or harassment, but we're also funny. It's still funny. Um, yeah, and one of the writers, Mark, Mark Flanagan, kind of like was scribbling something on on a page for a while. <laughs> <laughs> we kept moved on to something else, but then he looks up and out of the blue says, "He wanted to make a music video starring my toes." <laughs> And, you know, uh -huh. that one made it in. Yeah. And we all just instantly burst out laughing. Yes. Oh, there was a guy in New York for a while who got away with having a show about women's feet because Ugh. I complained to backstage. Uh -huh. And they went, well, he puts on the show. <laughs> so we can't really, like, we know, but we just, he does put on the show. Oh, my God. Wait, he was, this is a, a live theater show? Yeah. Or? I mean, I don't, I'm, I'm pretty sure it doesn't happen anymore. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I got a call. 
uh, one of my first audition calls oh after grad school. Oh and then he started asking me to talk about my feet. And I, I got uh, a sense of what it was. We had a guy in wow. college who were calling people and wanting to talk about hosiery. Uh-huh, uh-huh, and I was like, no uh-huh. man knows the word hosiery. I, I think this might be <laughs> yeah. a thing. There was also a guy who used to lure women into the stacks and say he was going to draw their yeah. feet but put his penis through the stacks. Oh, yeah. So much stuff happens oh, yeah. in college stacks. That was a thing. Yeah, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I was young, but I... I got a feeling right away, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, but no, he. My favorite part was, so you all be in your bathing suits, and you'll be rehearsing in my apartment. But you know, I don't mind. Oh my god! Uh, oh, you don't mind? Generous man. Great, <laughs> great. This wasn't Lauren. Was this happy hour? No, I don't want to say what it was. Oh. I'll tell you guys later. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, I'll just straight up call out the show Happy Hour that was around for a really long time. I I remember that. That I did not go out for. It was the show that you warned girls new to the city not to respond to the call. Oh, interesting. It was that show. It was a money-making endeavor for this creep. And there were all kinds of stories that came out of it. And it became the thing that you warned girls new to New York not to audition for. To your episode's credit, this conversation is why there's an episode. I mean, mm-hmm. the ability to just sit around and have an endless amount of stories of things that just, if it happened to you once, would make you feel slimy for weeks uh-huh. Uh-huh. and everyone just has an endless yeah. that either you heard about a friend or you were in it uh-huh. more often than not we're realizing it's that you were in it and you just talk about your friend mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because you don't want to be a bad guy or uh-huh. be or be the one who calls something out but i think that's why this episode resonated so much online um i actually i got to class the next day and made sure that all of my classmates knew sorry lauren knew our login to cbs access <laughs> Um, Damn you, Jesse. So that they, I'm sorry, they won't do it. We're very poor. Um, but I needed them all to go watch it uh-huh. because there, uh, there's a, a larger conversation that I won't get into right now that's happening within my, uh, my personal sphere that includes this conversation about who started it, who's a victim in this situation due to misunderstanding. I mean, there's all these layered elements that mm-hmm. are very very deftly woven together in this 21 minute, 15 second episode um, that resonates the, the thing that I keep going back to, I just rewatched it this morning was the, I thought it was a party. I didn't realize I was going to be alone there. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that just made my insides start to ice, Mm. not to scare the new bar back, but (laughs) uh, like I just frozen inside. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's actually, I I've heard that a lot in, in many stories that women have told me of, of, oh, yeah, he said he would, like, give me a ride to the next party uh, and was like, oh, I just need to, like, stop stop upstairs, like, my apartment or, like, oh, let's go to the next party. And then they got there and there was one other person there or two other people there. It wasn't actually a party. Uh, uh, yeah, so that was that was one of those lines where it was like, yeah, she would assume from her trusted mentor that there were going to be other people there. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I also thought that was very important that you made him her mentor. Was mm-hmm. that something yes. from right. the get-go, or was that something that was discussed? Mm-hmm. I mean, actually, one of the things that you know we, we had to take out due to time, but the idea that he actually was a really great professor uh-huh. and that she mm-hmm. actually did learn a lot from him, because mm-hmm. I think that yeah. makes the betrayal more... Yeah. Profound. But that so, came through. Yeah. I feel like, I don't yeah, know I what you cut, did. but that definitely came okay, through. Good. And why yeah. I think yeah. she yeah. is conflicted about it mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. But uh, also going back to Corky, just for a moment, what I also appreciated was that she is telling this in front of Frank and Miles. Mm-hmm. And, I, mm-hmm. and I find many times that nice guys 
don't hear these stories. Yeah. 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 And they're completely oblivious to it. And something is when something happens to me on the street um, or some sort of incident, mm-hmm. I put it on my Facebook Same. because I noticed that mm-hmm. then a lot of nice guys go, oh, I didn't know this happened to women. And they yeah. become more woke, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, and it yeah. really changed a lot of my male friends' perspective. They really mm-hmm. were in a complete cloud. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. just one of the things that was really important to me personally was um, Avery's attitude in the episode, mm-hmm. um, that scene where he talks about it with Murphy. Um, because, you know, I like how matter-of-fact he is about it in a way. He's not... He's, he, he takes it for what it is, but he doesn't stand up and say, tell me where this guy is, I'm going to go kick his ass. Right, um, he right. Doesn't, he doesn't yes. re- react with toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. He's, you know, he sort of has that attitude that I think, you know, some of us do have, which is, this is all pretty intuitive stuff, all the, the, these quote-unquote new rules. This isn't really mm-hmm. cause for alarm. You know, we can, mm-hmm. we, we can do this, um, you know, and it's certainly, you know, I haven't been perfect always in in my conduct and such, but it's it's also like when all this started happening, you know, I didn't immediately have the reaction of oh my god, <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm I feel so persecuted and scared now, um, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. and so it was important to me that we had this this male character who was just kind of like, you know, yeah, and and I really like the relationship between. Avery and his mom. Yeah. I don't think there's anything like that mm-hmm. on TV right now. Mm-hmm. And Candace, no. Candace Bergen happens to be like almost the exact same age as my mom. So, me too. Me too. By a couple of days, actually. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Really? yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah. I, for me, it was kind of imagining like, how would I react if my my own mother said this to me? And yeah, it was basically like you know, we tried to craft the perfect response that mm-hmm. a young man would have to this yeah um and so we yeah, a lot of the feedback on that has been has been good too mm-hmm. i yeah. appreciate in that scene too the fact that she says oh well that's not romantic talking about you mm-hmm. know bogey and mm-hmm. and him going well yeah maybe but it i don't want anyone to feel the way that you feel right now right yeah that's an example of something that like even the most progressive you know uh a lot of women who've lived through the the, the feminist movement and everything mm-hmm. they still have some trouble a, a good indication of that i think was the aziz and sari yeah yeah the hardest one for people to wrap yeah. their minds around so i mean yeah i mean I, I feel like that was a the kind of response that murphy brown would have she's not it's not like she's immediately gonna accept all these new you know like mm-hmm. all these uh, right woke rules out of the mm-hmm. bat uh, off the bat but i also yeah. do believe that the the seminar uh as we know it was very long and probably very in-depth uh-huh. um i think changed her mind i would assume on certain things because i know i have to say even myself the me too movement looking back at certain instances of my life and going oh that was not right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. whereas originally it was oh a bad look afterwards Mm -hmm. and you know i didn't tell anyone right oh that and like jesse said oh well it's not that bad at least i this didn't happen you know Mm -hmm. he just touched me that Mm -hmm. kind of thing Mm -hmm. and yeah and realizing no i was assaulted Mm -hmm. in a way yeah yeah i think and i think part of that is sort of giving yourself permission to women are taught from such an early age to sort of suppress our instincts about things because Mm -hmm. we need to be polite uh, which is changing a little bit, but even, you know, the there's like the example that I, I read was you should never force a little kid to hug or kiss a relative. Yeah. Yes. Uh, which is like my my parents will still do it to my niece and nephew. It's like, oh, give your aunt a kiss. And I'll go, they, they don't they don't have to if they don't want to. Like, it's fine uh, because it just sort of teaches you to do things you don't want to do in the moment. And it's, it's under the guise of, well, it's polite society or like, don't women don't cross to the side of the street because you don't want to, you don't want to see like offend anyone and blah, 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 blah. 
but yeah, like I, I think it is, I think it is sort of giving ourselves permission to say like, no, I, you know what? I knew at the time that it wasn't right, but I, because of how everything is and because I didn't want to seem this and I didn't want to seem that, I sort of convinced myself it wasn't. And now it's, it's about sort of giving permission. And a lot of times people will say, well, she stayed friends with that guy or, well, she kept dating that guy. And it's very hard for them to grasp, like, why didn't she get out of that situation? And it's just like, you might as well be asking, like, why does society, you know, tell women one thing and, and men another? Mm-hmm. It's just so hard to unpack and complicated. But that's how our our brains have been uh, trained to work is like, oh, stay friends with them. Don't make a big deal about it. Blah, 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 blah. So and and also cool. politeness is different. I mean, as a someone who was raised raised Midwestern, politeness is a a very complicated concept because beyond just calling out the person who may be offending you or assaulting you is also I recently I had an experience where my concept of politeness was challenged because I had to go to a male friend and tell them that they let me down by not backing me up, by not mm-hmm, speaking up, mm-hmm. by being absent. Uh-huh. And and that idea of being able to call out what you need and not implying that that person is a bad guy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, we we deal with a lot, especially as women, we deal with a lot of guilt about not wanting to hurt others by our own mm-hmm, hurt. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, and for me, something that stood out a lot in this episode was the conversation of grooming and coercive control. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that idea of it starts very small and and Scanner, what you were talking about with him being a good teacher, mm-hmm. um, the idea of you owe someone something mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that you don't want to make them feel bad because they did these good things for you. Mm-hmm. Um, the I, I think Gina was, I think it was in your post about just because somebody was good once doesn't mean that they weren't bad later. Mm-hmm. Right. Just right. because they were nice to this one person mm-hmm. doesn't mean they mm-hmm. weren't bad to this one. And being able to have these conversations and acknowledge the difficulty of that conversation, mm-hmm. the intricacies within it, and that somebody can murder one people. And just because they didn't murder everybody else doesn't make yeah. them not a murderer <laughs> yeah. for that one person. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's, it's complicated and mm-hmm. being willing to acknowledge the complication in the conversation. Yeah. I think like uh, one of the things that was, was important to us when we were writing it was that there are these three big scenes. She starts out talking to Avery she goes to Phyllis and then she goes to Professor Talbot in the end. And we wanted to sort of just reveal a little bit each time. We didn't want her to come out and say to Avery, like, oh, yeah, like he pinned me down. He he filled my glass with champagne. He kept touching my leg uh, because I think she had to sort of get to a point where she was OK mm-hmm. revealing that and letting herself remember all of that. And to me, that sort of is. And we even had a conversation in the room with uh, when talking about Avery when she says something happened, and his next next line isn't well what, because he's this goes back to like sort of him being this this progressive ally. He just says, "Did you tell anyone?" And someone in the room had said, "Wouldn't wouldn't he instantly ask?" And I said, "No, because you know when you get training on how to talk to people, you know that you never ask. Like mm-hmm. you never ask more than they're comfortable sharing." Yeah, and. I think this is part of that sort of teaching teaching women sort of like bad habits because your your instinct is to always downplay it. Even when you accept that something did happen, you say like, 
well, we were doing this and, you know, we had always been friends. And so, you know, like your your instinct is to downplay it. And that is sort of another th- another thing that we teach women, because if a woman just comes out and says, this guy did this, this guy did this, then it's like, whoa, calm down, crazy lady. So I think like while Murphy was easing herself into it, we were also easing the audience into yeah. it because that's that's sort of how women are. And every time I talk to women who sometimes say I've never told anyone this. Once they tell me, then they're like, oh, I, I sat down with my friend and told her. And, and it's 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 you give yourself permission to talk about it in a way that society is uncomfortable with. And then later on down the down the line, it's like you you sort of get used to t- sharing your story and doing that. And we wanted that to sort of be shown in the episode that she each time gets a little bit more OK saying what happened to her. Yeah. And I think the fact that she does sort of victim blame herself the way society does is also really important. Mm -hmm. Um, It's sort of reminded me, I mean, I've been thinking about this a lot lately in the last year of how most of my 20s, I was petrified of being alone, particularly in a professional situation with a man. Mm. Something mm-hmm. that, you know, t- let's have a drink, let's have dinner. Oh, what if he thinks? I oh, was yeah. putting it all on myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I might give the wrong impression because that's yes. what society told me, mm-hmm. was that it was all on me and that I was putting myself in a bad situation and mm-hmm. it was going to be my fault if mm-hmm. something happened. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it was unaware of it at the time and mm-hmm. a lot of decisions mm-hmm. that I made that I would not make now. And it was kind of freeing in a way to be able to look back and see that but also so eye-opening that Mm -hmm. uh, all of a sudden this movement even at my age was making me see things I had not seen Mm -hmm. and I I think Mm -hmm. that's what was happening to Murphy yeah Mm -hmm. I've I've had many conversations with Skander where I'll say oh this guy asked me a coffee do you think is it a date (laughs) because I don't want it to be a date but is it a career thing is it do they want career advice which is which is why it is a pet peeve of mine when someone does not make it clear that it's a date because mm-hmm. I have many female friends who ha- have gone out for coffee thinking someone will say, oh, I loved your pilot. I wanted to. Can we go to coffee and like talk about it? And then they're like, oh, crap, like this is a date. This wasn't you. That's not what you say. If you want a date, you mm-hmm. say something like, I don't know if you're seeing anyone right now, but would you like to have coffee with me? Because I think, you know, like that's how you ask someone out mm-hmm. on a date or you say, would you like to go on a date with me? You don't say oh, I read your pilot and liked it, and then, you know, get someone's hopes up and do this or say, oh, I want career advice and do that. So Yeah, well, there was yeah. this great Twitter post that I saw from a career coach. Particularly, mm-hmm. she was mm-hmm. coaching a lot of women in Silicon Valley. Oh, and there were a lot of sort of meet and greets where it's mostly men. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what was happening, whether the men meant it or not, Ugh. was that they were kind of going into flirt mode right away, which is putting up a wall. Yeah. And I, had, I don't know why I hadn't even thought of that, too, was that then they, these women were stuck because uh-huh. they couldn't get past the wall of, of even networking with these men because their first instinct was to flirt right and right so she had a whole list of things you know she advised the women or the women that she coaches to actually dress a little bit more professional than anyone else okay. you know ways to mm-hmm. sort of change the conversation but she also said guys it's a networking event yeah mm-hmm. I, yeah you know sorry you find them attractive but you you may not realize it but you're stopping these women mm-hmm. from going mm-hmm. forward mm-hmm. yeah because yeah. your instinct is to flirt yeah which what is almost that guideline that someone posted uh, for a guideline for men in the workplace, oh, treat yeah. every woman you work with as if they're the rock. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but that's also why it's like it's so you can sort of see like how heartbreaking it would be for Murphy to, from a well-respected, amazing professor, mm-hmm. get recognition for her work and think like, oh, this is my first sort of step, and oh, like. 
you know, and then and then have that moment where you think, oh, he was just interested in me this whole time. And I think that's why a lot of a lot of women quit certain fields because they can't get past. I mean, even just an improv in, in levels one and two, usually the ratios are the same. Usually it's 50 percent women, 50 percent men. Mm-hmm. And then around level three, there's a drop off. And when you talk to women, they're like, well, this thing happened or the guys were saying this or that. And I, I didn't want to deal with it. And I figured I would go back to it and I never went back to it. And so women are being driven out and and it's not fair. And you could see how someone who isn't Murphy or how someone who who maybe didn't have her mindset would say like, well, I don't want that to happen again. So I'm going to just sort of retreat. Maybe I'll do this other thing. I'll come back to this eventually and never end up becoming a reporter just thinking, well, I don't want this to be how it is every time. A funny inside tidbit, which is um, on the day that we shot this episode, the Murphy Brown cast and crew had a real life sexual harassment seminar. <laughs> I did read about that. Yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. yeah it was pretty funny, um, especially because we did it in front of the set, and <laughs> one of our uh, producers brought up the cartoon uh, wolf chasing the woman around uh-huh, <laughs> a, uh-huh. a photocopy machine. Um, so yeah, that was. Uh... By the time we found out, it was already when we were shooting that episode, and. Everyone was like, you will not believe this. But That's crazy. This <laughs> mm-hmm. Have there been any other sort of strange coincidences revolving the show? Because I've yeah. heard some other things. I will say like the the week that we shot this this upcoming episode, tonight's episode, uh, which is focused around a figure who bears some resemblance to Steve Bannon. Uh, he There was a big Steve Bannon controversy the week that we shot it about mm-hmm. whether or not he was going to like appear at this event and they were getting backlash to it. And there have been many times where Diane will jokingly say they've got microphones in the room because <laughs> we will write an episode, something that week will happen in the news that mirrors the episode. And then we all lament the fact that no one will know that we wrote the episode before that event yeah. happened. Cause a lot of people don't know how, how TV works or how long it takes. And then we're like, no, they'll think we wrote this after the fact and that we were just copying it. So there's been a few of those types of things. But we did not get it. We did not get any good material from that sexual harassment seminar that, oh. that day, though. <laughs> Darn. It's all straightforward. <laughs> Please join us for part two.